0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Roxy, and Roxy was raised by a pathologically lying narcissistic mother. It's a story of caretaking, physical abuse, questioning reality, PTSD, and letting go. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Roxy. How are you?
1: So far, so good.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for being here with us today. And today we're going to hear the story of your narcissistic mother. And you are kind of an only child in a way, or at least that's how you present yourself, which was a tad confusing until you explained it to me. And it's for uh, a good reason. And you have only child guilt because of it. But I'll let you explain that to everyone. So now. Without further ado, Roxy, the floor is now yours.
1: Excellent. Um, you know, just real quick, I want to, um, so I am, I am an only, I suppose I'm an only child now. But I do, I did, I do have two brothers. Um, one of them passed away and the other one uh, took that really hard and is has been sort of off the map for a long time. So I'm the only one left is sort of how I describe it. Um, But, and, and, you know, that has, that, that does, you know, very much contribute to the guilt, but um, yeah, it's just me, but not quite an only child, (laughs) you know, just uh, the only one left. I like to say, (laughs) yeah. Um, So I kind of wanted to go with uh, that. We come from, kind of wanted to start with that. We come from a Hispanic background my mother is uh, from Nicaragua. My father is from Mexico. And that just has a lot to do with everything, I feel. Because culturally, things that are not normal here are very, very normal in our culture. So my mother was born in Nicaragua. And her mother, when she had her, was like 14, 15. She was like super young. So I feel like that contributes a lot to her um, story and to her whatever her psychoses are, Um, her mother was really more of her friend and also kind of used her as like a pseudo parent. So my mother describes getting up, you know, being a child herself and getting up and getting the little girls ready for school and getting her little brother ready for school. And she made a lot of mistakes because she was a child and her mother made a lot of mistakes because she was a child. But those two had a very enmeshed relationship and uh, still do to this day. And it's funny because in Latin culture, I'm sure in other cultures too, parents kind of have a favorite and it's sort of just like an unspoken thing that's allowed. (laughs) So my mother was the favorite of my grandmother and um, it's still to this day very noticeable that those two are like best friends and they rely on each other and they fight a lot about the past and about the present. But uh, it's it's really just because in Nicaragua, that's how it was done. The woman gets married at like 14, and by 17, she's an old maid. <laughs> and uh, that that was sort of her story coming from Nicaragua. This is just my theory, too, because the, the problem is she's never been diagnosed with anything. Um, I am not privy to any of that information. Uh, we've gotten her a therapist before, but the problem with uh, her having like a... a habit of, of lying is they don't actually ever really know who they're talking to. Um, and it's like, you know, good luck with that. I never know who I'm talking to. you know, it's, And I lived with her. <laughs> I think part of narcissism is uh, the ego and perception. And for as long as I've been alive, uh, ego and perception have ruled her her life. I think her fear is just being seen as um maybe not intelligent or not smart or not good but her her actions are um are to just fake it. So, you know, I mean the biggest things she's done really have been really life uh, giant life stories that never happened or were never real, you know. Um if she could have made up a whole new person, she basically did. So um, so that's Nicaragua. That's her family. Uh, my dad is from Mexico. Um, they lived in Texas, though. His mother was also um, sort of a struggling single parent. She, uh, they, they have sort of a history in that family of um, neglect and stuff, but she also was raising kids by herself. Uh husband sort of uh, walked away. And um, he he lives in a sort of fear of poverty and a fear of um, losing everything. And, uh, you know, he also was a um, drug dealer for a long time when I was growing up and eventually went to jail, had everything sort of taken from him, had to start from zero again. And I think that really messes with him and is sort of the reason for some of his uh, emotional and and mental struggles.
0: So, you know, your parents, your parents become a couple and, and what is their relationship like?
1: Yeah. They, they meet in Catholic school. They're very young. It's very cute. Uh, my dad, again, he was a drug dealer. He had a lot of money. He had a, he had all the ins to all the parties. Uh, my mom, very beautiful woman. Uh, it's, it's can't deny it. And she's very charming. Um, I, I usually will prep, uh, you know, before she goes to the doctors or anything, I'm like, listen, <laughs> she's, she's very charming, but you gotta keep her in, uh, keep her on the right road. You gotta keep her telling the truth. <laughs> but, uh, they met, they fell in love. Uh, I believe it was, I believe it was real love. Uh, now they sort of can't stand each other, but they still live together because they're very, uh, a meshed as a couple. And, um, they got married. They had me at around uh, 27, maybe. And, uh, well, they had my brother first. And then they had me right after. So that's, uh, have you ever heard of Irish twins?
0: No. What is that no, mean? No, it's,
1: like it's like when you have a child and then have another one. It's like they're not even a year apart. You know? Okay. It's, like, it just, it's a very, like, Catholic thing, too. <laughs> so um, they had me. They had my brother. Uh, there's another son, he is older than both me and my brother, uh, by a bit and actually my cousin, but he was raised by my parents because he, his parents were, um, shitty, I guess. <laughs> and, um, uh, he was raised by my parents, but we'll, we'll get into that. Cause that's very interesting as well. The thing with my mother that I, I realized growing up is that, you know, something was always a little bit off. You know, we would go to, we would go to family gatherings and she'd say, um, oh, you know, uh, Roxy is such a good student. She's just an A and B student. And I was like, no, I'm not. Like, that's not even close to what I am. <laughs> but I also was embarrassed. So I was like, I'm just going to go with that. Like, yep, A's and B's. That's me, Roxy. Um, and she would say things like, um, oh, yeah, you know, uh, my my daughter the other day said something so profound. She said, uh, she quoted from the Bible and, or, you know, something like she memorized this psalm. And I was like, I've never memorized a psalm. I don't know that psalm. But, you know, they were always very flattering and stuff. So sometimes I'd go with it. But I knew something was up. I knew that 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 was very strange. She would also tell stories. And um, they were always very unusual. And she'd say, like, somebody called. And they asked about you. And I'd say, who? And she'd say, it was this guy from your class. This is is me in elementary. I, I didn't really quite know what was up with her. But she would say, "This boy called and uh, he wanted me to tell you he likes you." And I'd be like, "Wow, cool!" You know, and I'd go to school and I'd be like, "Oh, you know, somebody said they liked me here," and everyone would go, "No, nobody said that." You know, nobody called your house. Nobody has your number. Don't you think that's weird? And I'd be like, "Oh, oh yeah, you're right. That's that didn't happen." And I just think to myself, like, "That's weird. Maybe she just did it to, to, you know, give me like a little confidence boost or something." But she'd do that a lot. She'd sort of make up stories a lot. And uh, I knew something was wrong. I knew for a long time something was wrong. But there was the other side, which is um, the rage. So she, if you questioned her, could fly into a rage like I, like I can't even describe. It's sort of the, the mother and the monster. There was moments where she was very loving. And that's something that I try to hold on to. But there were also moments where she was um, hysterically upset. And it usually came from questioning her. And I was terrible at not questioning her. Um, that was honestly our our biggest thing where we, we just butted heads constantly because I would say things like, well, that doesn't make sense. Or, well, how come I haven't seen this? Or how come I haven't heard this? Or... Well, that never happened, and she would fly into a rage. Um, she would always say that I was very stubborn and that my main problem was talking back. But I just knew something was up and was less accepting of it than my brother. My brother sort of accepted everything. And uh, I do believe that, you know, it, it resulted in us having a very tough relationship from the beginning. I was the skeptical child. And I was also the child that needed less, Um my my brother uh, was just so smart, but he was also so helpless. <laughs> and he always sort of needed me to help him with things, even though I was younger, not younger by much, but he, you know, always needed money or he always needed help with something or he always needed, you know, help with school. And I never needed those things. I was always very independent. Um, I learned to be more independent. So, uh, so she would really hammer on me more often than him. I was the one that challenged her more. And when I say that she would fly into a rage, I mean she would go from 0 to I mean like not 60, she'd go from 0 to like uh, 600. She would become this person that you assume is capable of anything and could could not just hurt you but could kill you possibly. I mean, that was threatened often that she would kill me. Um, and it was threatened often that, you know, she, she could fly off, Like I was going to make her fly off the handle. I was going to cause her to break. So you learn to make yourself small. You learn to diffuse. I'm great at diffusing. <laughs> and you would also learn to, uh, stop asking questions. And I think eventually I sort of got it eventually. Uh, you know, you 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 poke the bear enough, you learn. You know, my, leave that bear alone. So, so uh, I stopped questioning, and there was a lot of things. Even as I got older, you know, she said she was a lawyer. I mean, I, I mentioned that in my email. She said she was a, a lawyer. She went to Stanford. She worked for the federal government. Uh, she also had a job uh, as like a mobile nurse at some point. All these things, and I would think like. Well, you know, I'd see her paperwork, the thing is she was doing lawyer work. <laughs> so I'd see her paperwork and I'd think like, this is written by a child. Like you have no grammar, you have no syntax, like what's going on? And she'd say, oh, well, you know, that's why I just need you to proofread things. And I'd be like, well, you went to Stanford. Why can't you write? You know, it's, it's unusual to me. Um, and then I also thought like, well, why isn't there a certificate on the wall? Like, that's so strange. But we did have a party that that celebrated her passing the bar. Well, shouldn't that have been proof enough? And it wasn't. And I knew something was up. And I just didn't say anything because, again, you say something, um, you're in danger. So eventually, <laughs> eventually, she gets arrested, and the police come one one day. I'm I'm older at this point. I'm maybe like you know oh how old am i 20 25 maybe 24 um and the police come they break down the door because she was not letting them in and they arrest her <laughs> and i remember i was there and i'm like uh, i told the police officer i'm like i would have open the door you know that was unnecessary and he's like sorry you know like uh, we're dealing like we're dealing with a crazy person you know and i and i got it afterwards i got it after everything came out but um you know, I even remember her telling my father, the police came in and they were so violent and they broke the door down, tried to tell them to stop. And I was like, no, no, it didn't happen that way. You know, they did break the door, but they, they broke it because she was um, not letting them in <laughs> or something like that. I remember hearing everything happen. Um, and also, uh, you know, when she went to jail, I remember before before she got arrested, she said, I want to change. Can I change out my pajamas? And they said, yeah, go change. And I said, I'm going to go help her change. And uh, she sat down to change. And I said, is this because you're not a lawyer? And she said, we'll talk about that later. And I said, listen, I know, I know, and I need you to know that I know that you've never been an attorney. And that the police are here because you've been doing the work of an attorney without a license. And she said, we'll talk about it later. So she was arrested. Uh, My father came home. Um, Our family is very familiar with the process. (laughs) My brother, my brother Jay had gotten into a lot of trouble. And obviously he had, my father had, you know, gone to jail previously. Um, So, you know, we knew, we knew how to, you know, contact who we needed to contact and, you know, get bail and everything like that. Um, But they, they really tried to shield me from what had happened. But I I found out through just the newspapers and the news and everything, she had been taking jobs as an attorney and uh, a woman whose case she lost found out that she had never passed the bar and she was arrested. And she had also been arrested for assault of that same woman that that, uh, turned her in. Um, And she said, of course, like, I didn't do that. I would never like I'm old myself. How could I assault an old woman? But I knew she did. I knew that the whatever whatever was going on she had actually done.
0: Does your mom believe everything she says?
1: She does until presented with truth, so she believed a hundred percent that she could get away with saying she was a lawyer and she she even said to me afterwards, you know we had many conversations about how insane that time was. Um, also I had had, when she went to jail, I had access to all her things because it was all very sudden. Um, so I had her phone, I had her laptop and I was able to see some things. I was able to see a lot of things that she was up to. So when presented with what happened, it was like, uh, it, it was, it was a tough, it was a tough, Wall to brick, but it was broken. There was nothing, there's nowhere to hide at that point. Um, there were times where she used to steal money from me a lot. Um, she never worked, you know, she never really had a job. And, um, it was always side gigs, you know, and the lawyer thing, which I don't know. I don't think that really counts. Um, and I always had a job since I was like 17, always had a job, always took care of myself, had money. Um, but she would steal a lot from me. Um, lots and lots of money for me. She'd steal my card. She'd use my card. Um, this was, this, she got away with for a really long time because one, at, at one point I was just too young to really understand that that's what happened. And two, I have just like massive D. So I just kind of always assumed that I did my math wrong or I lost the money or I misplaced it. Um, always, always that was happening. And that was so frustrating. So I started hanging up cameras in my room um and eventually I caught her, you know, stealing money. I had a little safe and she I mean the code was like my birthday and she just got it. It was a terrible code. So she would steal, you know, the money in the safe. And I presented her eventually. I said, uh, hey, you know, like I got you on camera. And she goes, um, you know, instead of being apologetic, she would go, You've been spying on me? And I'm like, What? Like, how is that? Like, that's not what we're going to talk about here, you know? And like, you don't trust me? And it's like, you know.
0: A classic, yeah. a classic yeah. move from a yes. con artist. <laughs> Look over there. Yeah. <laughs> so up until that point, you know, your childhood through your teenage years, were you neglected? You know, what were the things, you know, besides yes. the rage that were going on and what, insecurities and, uh, emotional issues developed because of those things. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I feel like this is a little bit out of order because I'm jumping back a little bit. I had like a timeline, but, um, I've strayed a bit. I apologize. Um, so before I'm going to say when I was like a child, so it was me and my brother, And again, in Latin communities, sort of common to have like a favorite. He was, he was clearly the favorite, but he was also the more needy one. So I sort of got it, you know, he, he needed her help more than I did. Um, My father, I feel like I was very close to him, but he went to jail for a little while. And when he came back, he was very, very focused on his sobriety. He's sober still to this day. He's doing a wonderful, wonderful job with that. But he had his own, he had his own problems, and he had his own issues, and he worked a lot. He was the only one really working ever. So um, I felt we were close, but it, there wasn't really enough time to be with him. So I definitely felt like I was a little bit on my own island. Um, but I, I adapted fairly well. I, you know, I got uh, work, and I did a lot of uh, extracurriculars, and sort of did my own thing. And I also just. St- you know, sort of made myself small in her presence because I was frightened of her and she was very, yeah, she was, she was scary. She was really scary when she was angry and I could not help but make her angry. I could not help but question things and I could not help but challenge her. Um, it was just an instinct I couldn't fight. So I was always in trouble. Um, and then, uh, when I was 22, My brother passed away from a heart condition. Um, My brother Jay found him. Uh, He had passed out in the shower and uh, he called us and we all, we all came and, you know, that was a really traumatic time and it was a very uh, unusual thing as a family that we went through because nobody expected it. You don't give, you know, 23 year olds uh, a heart x-ray, you know, and, it was a defect in his heart. So he passed away. And I do feel that at that time I'm 22, um, everything just went downhill. And a lot of times people think that her, her displays of narcissism and borderline personality or bipolar or whatever, they all think it kind of started when he died, but it didn't. And I, and I like to make that very clear because um, I sort of feel like it's a, it's a bit of an injustice Um, he, he did, he did die. It did take a horrible toll on her, on my father, on myself, on my brother, Jay, especially he had been sober for seven years and just fell off the wagon very, very hard after my brother passed. Um, but she sort of just went straight into grief, hysterical grief, um, completely understandably. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it seemed also at that time like uh, I lost her. She was no longer present. Um, nobody was present. nobody was present. Even now I sort of feel bad for Jay because we were all we were all sort of retreated into ourselves because we didn't know how to handle it as a family. And unfortunately, we all should have been keeping an eye on Jay as the most vulnerable one in the pack. And, uh, we didn't. And, um, you know, I, uh, I carry a lot of, I think he carries a lot of survivor's guilt because he's, he struggled with addiction all his life. And then his brother passes away who never drank, never did drugs, you know, and I struggled with survivor guilt because he was the favorite and, you know, smarter of us, <laughs> you know, it was definitely the smarter of us and the more loved. So there was, you know, survivor guilt on our part. And it, it just sort of crumbled us as a family But it it did not cause her mental health problems. They were always there. If anything, it sort of gave her an excuse to be worse. And so when she would fly into a rage, she'd fly into even more of a rage. Except this time, she felt like she had an excuse. And to, to this day, she says, I was only a bad mother for two years of your life. And those were the years where I was mourning. And I say, nope, nope. Not accurate. <laughs> um, so after that, Jay sort of goes off and uh, who, knows, who knows where he is now. He knows I love him. I've, I've spoken to him. But uh, he's, a, he's a zombie. That's just what drugs do. And then uh, my dad sort of retreats into himself quite a bit. But uh, the funny thing is I sort of expected the situation to bring us all closer. Like now it's three of us. Now there's only three. Jay is gone. Uh, my brother is gone. So it's just me, my mother, my father, the three of us. We should be such a close unit at this point. We should be, we're the only people who have experienced this horrifying thing. And we should all be so much closer. We should, um, this this should be a uh, life-changing thing that, that makes us uh, tethered to one another. I, I like to use the word tethered, um, but it didn't. You know, it didn't, or or if it did, it uh it wasn't in the right way. So yeah, we just were sort of retreated to ourselves. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of arguing, and then uh, and then yeah, and then she gets uh, arrested. And at that time that she was arrested, she was also working on a lawsuit. So the lawsuit was against the state because um, when my brother passed away, they kept his heart for study, um, which to me didn't seem like a big deal but to her was a very big deal. And she made a million excuses. She said, well, you know, we're Native American and, uh, we're supposed to be buried whole. And I thought, since when are we, I mean, I know like, you know, like all, all Mexicans and everything, like we all have like, you know, indigenous roots, but like, we're not, you know, we don't practice anything and we don't, you know, like we don't really identify that way. So how are we Native American? And she would say, you know, they stole the heart. They stole his heart. And I kid you not, she kicked up such a fuss that they sent us the heart back. <laughs> and it was in the fridge for a while. <laughs> and it was, like, behind the iced tea. And I, I remember thinking, like, I I actually went to her room and I said, what the fuck is my brother doing in the fridge? Because <laughs> I thought it was kind of kind of bizarre and morbid. I should not tell that story. But it was kind of funny. Um <laughs> But she had kicked up such a fuss and then she had sued and it was this big lawsuit. She had this big, fancy lawyer. And she said, she's like, don't tell the, don't tell uh, our lawyer that I'm a lawyer. And I was like, well, that's weird, but all right. And so, uh, so, so anyways, she does the big lawsuit against the County. Um, it's, it was ongoing for a long time. Uh, and the whole argument was just that they shouldn't have taken his organ without uh permission from the parents. I understand that. I get it. But I also thought that she was just very um, incredibly, incredibly angry and wanted somebody to blame. She was always insanely litigious. It's actually quite funny. Um, It was perfect that she got into or she couldn't get into. It was perfect that she decided to call herself a lawyer because she wanted to sue everyone all the time. And she threatened to sue everyone all the time. Um, People see you know, it's like a big thing now online, like Karen, Karen freakouts. That was her. I watched those videos. I, I recognize them. I'm like, I know that woman. I had to go home to that woman. You know, (laughs) like, um, I feel like the comments are always very like, what is this? Like this person's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, but they're only crazy like a little percentage of the time. Wait till, you know, like that's a person that has friends. That's a person that has children. Um, you wouldn't believe how they hide that crazy um, because she would do that all the time. She would have just Karen freakouts on waiters, on baristas, on uh, fast food workers, just insane freakouts. <laughs> she always threatened to sue. So, so they do the lawsuit. Um, it's ongoing. Then she gets arrested. So she gets arrested for pretending to be a lawyer um, <laughs> and, and actually practicing law without a license. And she goes to jail. But what she says is that it's a conspiracy because she's suing the county and the county wants to get revenge. And my dad thinks that makes total sense. And I'm over here like, no. <laughs> you know, I thought I thought the, um, the curtain had been pulled. I was like, finally, people are going to believe me when I say this woman's, you know, not a lawyer. Because I, you know, I knew it. I knew it. I just never said it. I knew it. I knew for a fact she wasn't an attorney, but there was no way that I could prove it. And oftentimes that was the case when she was stealing money from me. There was no way that I could prove it unless I set up cameras. Because if I told my father like, Hey, there's a lot of money going missing from my account. And it seems to only be used in the city. He'd say, well, you know, people steal cards all the time. If you just use an ATM, sometimes they'll steal the number. And I'm like, that's more believable. That's more believable than, uh, you know, we have a thief in the house and the thief is doing it. Is that more believable? But but according to him, it was. Uh, She also said that she had worked on really important cases for, like, um, this is going to sound insane, and it is, but she worked uh, cases against the Mexican Mafia. And uh, if she... Said that she was a lawyer then those cases would get dismissed so she had to say she was never a lawyer and the federal government had to uh um, like burn all the proof that she was ever a lawyer so that those cases and those people never got out and again apparently that was believable um i rather think that in that case like um you know how there's stories of twins and like one twin will go crazy and the other one will catch some of that? I feel like there's a thing with those two where they're so enmeshed with each other that she will make up a story and it will just become absorbed into him. And he will believe it because the, the, the disease sort of jumps around. It, it is like a virus. And unless you're actively fighting against it, which I was, you know, you just you just fall in. And I think that their particular relationship was very that. I also think that he fell in love with this person a long time ago and he sort of sees a lot of, of good in her. I mean, you know, she has good parts. And I think that he had a lot of trouble imagining her to be the monster that, you know, she was. Um, and maybe he didn't see it a lot. I always kind of wondered how a man as gentle as he was as as he is could allow his children to be beat. but he did and I think uh I think a good part of that was also because he wasn't around to really know how bad it was. So she gets arrested. I'm in her computer um I see I see a lot of things that uh you know sort of made the situation worse. I see that you know she's lent. She's borrowed money from people who are now asking for it back. She sent emails that are sort of negative, um, talking about the family sort of negatively, how almost like we're sort of fools. And she was having a lot of affairs. Uh, One in particular um, was a man that was a family friend that she was really intent on getting me to hang out with and getting my father to hang out with she would say like, Oh, show this, this man around town. He's new in town. and Can you show him around? And I'd say, no, I don't, I don't want to. Why would he want me to? Um, I don't. And she's like, he's really nice. You know, he's really this. And I'd say, you know, I don't, I don't know him. I don't think he's funny. And I said, I, I felt almost like she was trying to set me up. And I said, I don't think he's funny. I don't think he's attractive. So why would I hang out with him? And she'd say like, you're so judgmental. You're so um, superficial and i was like why are you trying to get me to hang out with this man and then she'd say well i asked her dad to take him to a movie then and i'd think okay that's fine they can be friends but then i found out that it was because she was having an affair with him and she's just sort of sick and wanted him in our lives as sort of a joke even cuz in the in the emails and in the phone calls that i'd i'd eventually w- was privy to um you know she talked about it sort of like it was a joke like we had no idea and what fools we were Um, she also tried to get me to marry him at one point because he needed papers and she asked me to marry him, uh, and that I would get some money out of it. And I was just, I was incredibly broke at the time again, because of her, but (laughs) I was incredibly broke. So I thought, okay, I guess I could do that. I guess people do that. She made it sound like sort of a no, no big deal thing. We'll put some of your clothes at his house. Um, uh, you'll just be married on paper. No big deal. Take a few photos, uh, put a photo album together so that we could sell the story and that's it. And she said, your dad's fine with that. And then I told my dad and he was like, no, that's illegal. Don't do that. You You go to jail if they catch you. And I was like, oh yeah, you know what? That's a good point. Um, so I didn't marry him. Thank God. Uh, Also, thank God, because I didn't realize they were uh, together, (laughs) That would have been real sick. Um, But yeah, I I confronted her and she was in jail again. And uh, she was mad at me. She was like, you went through my things and how dare you? And, uh, you know, I remember where I was. I was um, I was uh, waiting for a train and I just lost my mind. And I was like, how dare you? You know, if I had if I had married that man, I told her if I had married that man and I found all this out, like I would have been stuck. I would have been stuck. You know, like I could have gone to jail. I would have I would have done something. I would have done something. I would have hurt myself, you know. And then she cried and she apologized and she begged me not to tell my father. And I didn't. Because I just, you know, we're already going through too much. You know, she's in jail. My brother's passed away. There's this lawsuit that just fell through. Now we owe a ton of money. The, the state is actually threatened to, to sue us um, because of everything that happened. Uh, her lawyer is pissed because her lawyer didn't know what she was up to. And just everything, you know, people are asking for their money back. It was a mess. So I decided, all right, I won't tell anyone, but I'm also not going to visit you in jail. Because I'm mad. <laughs> so I didn't. It caused even more fights. Because my father didn't understand why I wasn't supporting the family. And, uh, you know, people thought I was such a terrible daughter. And um, she, you know, she was in a very vulnerable, vulnerable place. Um, and she was only there for about a year, a year and a half maybe. She wasn't there for very long. She got out, you know, early, I think.
0: Um, So at this point of your life, your whole life has revolved around your mom. Like everything that's going on is always... Your mom's doing something to you, your mom's doing something to someone else, and that comes back on to your family, and then you have to probably clean up problems or maybe take care of your mom and you're taking care. You've become this caretaker and cleaning up situations. 100%, 100%. So do you recognize that at that time? And no. who are you as a person at that time?
1: Well, I definitely was, um, you know, at the funeral, I remember so many people came up to me and were saying like, you're so strong. You're so strong. I don't know how you are so strong right now, but I didn't have the luxury of falling apart. You know, she, she was falling apart. She was falling apart. Like, um, and I, you know, what's funny is I appreciate it because I know that a lot of people hold back. Uh, particularly at funerals. I know a lot of people hold back their grief because it makes other people uncomfortable. This woman let it all out. <laughs> you know, She was, she was like jumping on the casket, like just like letting it all hang out. But I, that's how I felt. That's how I felt. And I know that's how she felt. So I actually quite appreciated it. Um, and I don't fault her at all for, for those giant emotions. But at the same time I was tasked to take care of all the, um, you know, the, the the side of it that was that needed structure. You know, I, I did his laundry so that he could, you know, the coroner could dress them. I spoke to the coroner, um, I spoke to the doctors, I spoke to the police, I talked to my dad, and I did feel very much like I have to I mean, I didn't have time to cry at all. I don't think I did. I remember thinking, um, you know, it was, it was kind of a, it was a, like a crime scene because nobody understood why he passed away yet. And so there was like the tape and everything. It was this big scene, all these police cars. And I remember they said, if you want, said, you can go see him. And I thought, okay, well, um, I read once that the brain uh, stays sort of alive a little while after you die. So here's my chance. I, you know, maybe if there's a little bit left, I can just say some words to him. Uh, like I love you, or like uh, I'm sorry, or anything, and uh, his brain might still be able to retain a little because the brain goes after you go. And I don't really know the time frame. I still don't. <laughs> but but I remember I had read that uh, in middle school maybe, and um, I couldn't say anything. I fixed his hair, and uh, I talked to the police officer, and I didn't know what to say to him. There was just no time and there was no words. And I, I was just not in myself. I was staying strong. And then they had me talk to the coroner because they didn't understand what had happened. And the coroner told me, he relate to me and I relate to them. And they said to me, I remember, um, ask him if it was, uh, if it was painless, ask him if he died quickly and painlessly. And I was like, well, that's a question that I'm not going to enjoy. But I asked the coroner, And this, this lovely man gave me an answer that was very um, gentle, but it was not an answer that I could tell them that was just like what I could do, but then I ended up carrying it, you know, and, and that, that truth never, never came out until I started therapy. And I told my therapist, and when I said it out loud, I realized how absolutely harmful it was for me to go through that and carry that and try to hold everything together at that time for, you know, my parents, it just, it just really spoke to how much they had relied on me for many, many things and expected me to be very strong, you know? Um,
0: Well, you said something before about a crime scene. And you are a crime scene. You are a victim. You are the evidence. You are the aider in a better. You are all the little parts. You're just not the person doing the crime, but you're every other thing involved in it. And it's... It's... it's sad because with you the only person to solve the crime is you there's no cop yeah. there's no cop coming no to help no. you
1: uh-huh you're the yeah. lawyer
0: you're everything mm-hmm. here
1: mhm mm-hmm.
0: and you're also the prosecutor <laughs> it's you know it's a real number that's been done on you here growing up because you're both parts of the crime in a, in a, in a strange way which is a lot of conflicting information going through your brain conflicting everything everything as far as uh, you know being right and then feeling guilt for being right like all of those things you want to find out the truth, and then when you but you don't want to find out oh the it's truth. so
1: it's so awful knowing the truth, and it's like, um, I do feel you know when I make her cry, I feel terrible, and my my family, you know it's funny we'll we'll get to that, but they really validated me, they really validated me when things got terrible, and they said, um, like we believe everything you're saying. They're like we know your father doesn't believe it, but we believe it. And even her sisters said these signs were there long before you were even born. So that was that was incredibly validating, incredibly validating. But before that, it was like I'm the only one. I'm the only one.
0: Up until that point, you had you had no witness to your life, which must have been like. How you didn't go crazy is one thing, but like the sadness of the fact that your dad's not witnessing it and the Mm -hmm. others aren't witnessing it Mm -hmm. and there's no one else to validate this is not right. The fact that you're kind of sitting here talking to me and uh, it makes sense that you're talking to me with such laughter (laughs) in, in the sense of it's so crazy. It is. <laughs> that it's, and the story, you know, the stories as far as storytelling, that these are stories that are interesting to tell. It, does that make, does that resonate with you in this? No, that? totally. Yeah. Totally. It
1: does. Um, I, w- I wouldn't call them necessarily like great stories, but they are interesting, aren't they? Know, well, yeah, that's what I mean. Like they're, they're interesting <laughs> stories
0: for people yes. to hear.
1: Yes. Do yeah. you
0: retell them a lot? Or not? No. Okay.
1: <laughs> it's funny. Actually, when you said in the very beginning when you called me an only child, I do say that because if I get into it, it's like, well, <laughs> like let's let's talk about everything that happened and then let's talk about what happened to the other brother and then let's talk about what happened after that and like do I talk to my parents? Well, no. And it's it's like um people's uh inclination is always to uh, you know, Like when when they go, oh my God, I go, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. That's like your inclination to just go, it's actually fine. It's actually, it's no big deal. And and I'm fine and everything's fine. Uh, Which is why, I mean, I I feel so great about therapy because when I'm in therapy, I'm like, hey, hey doc, uh, I'm paying you, so prepare to be uncomfortable. You know, (laughs) like it's just a great, it's a great trade-off. I don't have to say I'm fine. And that's one of the, the things that really I mean like where would I be? Like what loony bin would I be in if I didn't have that outlet? Mm. Truly, truly. Because uh it it really was the stepping stone to get to get better and to not feel like I was crazy because everyone in my life gaslighted me and told me that I that I was imagining things, that I was untrusting, that well there's no proof. If you can't prove it, then And if I'm angry enough, if I'm loud enough, then how can you say I'm not right? And I was like, well, you know, drive a hard bargain. (laughs) You might, you might be right. I am scared of you. So you might be right.
0: (laughs) So I took you off track there, but I'm, I'm glad I did take you off track there. Uh, so what happens, uh, next?
1: So, so next, um, she comes back uh, from jail and she's telling people how wonderful the experience was. And, oh, it was the best. She literally says it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Cause I, I never had time to mourn and grieve. And that time I just spent a lot of time on me. And it was like, she went to a resort, you know, and I knew it wasn't a resort. I knew it was difficult for her. I knew it was, but I also know that, um, she couldn't show that side and she wouldn't. And I remember feeling incredibly disrespected because for us, when she was in jail, it was just a giant struggle. It was, you know, it was a struggle financially. It was a struggle in the household. I was fighting with my father. I was fighting with my nephew, who she was raising. Because uh, Jay had a son who we were, we were raising. Because Jay went and, you know, got back on drugs, which is a shame. But um, we were all fighting in the house. We were just fighting in the house. And, uh, she was apparently having this wonderful, uh, you know, time. And I, and I remember telling her, you know, that was an incredibly traumatic time for me, incredibly traumatic time for me. And, um, and I just felt really disrespected by the fact that she, she could never admit that it was, it was a toll on her family. And, you know, when we would, when we would fight, and this is what I mean by I hate making her cry. I absolutely despise it. It makes me feel terrible because I know somewhere in there is a person who knows reality. I know that that's in there. When she's embarrassed, when I bring that out and I'm like, hey, you did, you did awful, awful things to me. And I would just like to remind you that you did an awful thing. She will cry. She will say she's sorry. She will say, I wish I were dead. You know, I... I could kill myself for how I acted and what I did to you. Um, and, and it just, it hurts me. I hate to see it. I absolutely despise uh, making her cry. But it happens all the time because she can't be honest with me. It happens all the time that I have to bring her back. I call it, um, I have to give her a name. I call her by her first name a lot. <laughs> but let's, let's say her name is uh, Maria. Uh, I call it Maria World. And I'm like, are you in Maria world again? Like what's going on in Maria world? Like get out of real world. That world is not real. That world where you are a lawyer is not real. That world where you are a perfect mother to perfect children is not real. You know, that world where, you know, uh, these other people don't exist there. It's not real. Get out of real world. And she'll say, I, you know, I don't do that anymore. I don't, you know, she'll even start just, you know, using my own frame. She'll be like, oh, I was, kind of in Maria world and I'm like get out of Maria world like it's not it's not healthy it's not a real place um it's I'll I'll also say it's not world against Maria because she'll she'll like have these fights with me and I'll say so is everybody wrong except for you is everybody wrong because she'll be like my sisters and you and blah 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 and your father you're all so mean to me and I'll say like is it is it you know world against Maria is it is that is that like what we're doing right now. It's just the world against Maria always because she has a real victim mentality, Um, which in in some ways is fair. I I will never, I will never discount her grief towards my, my brother's passing. But I also think that she has used it incredibly um, for sympathy, for excuses, for, you know, I I mean, I, I have to nail her down and say, Hey, here is a here is a list of things that you've done because otherwise she doesn't know. She's like, I don't even remember doing those things. I don't even remember doing them. I was so crazy in my grief that I don't even remember. And I'm like, that's you know that doesn't help me. That you that you don't remember is not helpful to me. Uh, it's actually quite the opposite. I need you I need you to look uh, critically at these things that you've done in order for me to you know forgive. Um, which I was so down to do. I mean, it's, it's crazy the, the horrible things she's done. I, and this is, of course, again, because of therapy, I was very, very willing to let it go and, and find forgiveness and just find uh, um, a bit of love between us that we could sort of uh, protect, you know, protect as small a flame as it could have been. I would have protected, protected it with my life. But uh, but we never got there, and you know I would fight with her, and I'd say, "Can you name?" Because she'd say, "You're always so hard on me. You're always so mean to me." And I'd she'd say, "After everything I've done," and I'd say, "Hey, um, just very calmly, like, hey, could you um, name something that you've done? Could you just like give me like like one or two things? Can you say one thing that you've done just so that I can." acknowledge and she can't what she'll say is like if you don't know i'm not gonna say it. I'm like, all right but, but there's actually nothing there's actually nothing she did say she this is actually great you'll like this she used to say she went to liars anonymous meetings that was a lie <laughs> like, it's just very you know she's like i'm actually volunteering at this place and i'd be like that's a lie and then i'm i'm going to meetings with my therapist and i'm like no you're not and it's like the liars anonymous meetings were great.
0: Does liars anonymous actually exist? <laughs> I don't
1: exist? think it exists. I don't think it exists. I did look into it because I thought she was going like every Monday, and I don't know where she was going. Honest to God, there is still there are still gaps in you know stories she tells me. Um, there are uh, things that I can't prove, so I don't know for sure if they actually happened. There was a a time where. Um, I felt like she was chatting with men online using my photos, but I couldn't prove it. You know what I mean? Or there there is, uh, there was a, um, when I was a child, uh, I told her about a molestation that happened with an older kid. And she beat me because I didn't tell her sooner. And I remember telling my brother about it. And my brother was like, that never happened. That never happened. Because I remember I had told him too. It was like one of his little friends or something. And it wasn't it was in a, a terrible situation, but it was a bit traumatic just because I was so young and I was so confused. I told her and she beat me for it because she said I didn't tell her um, soon enough. And then she also beat my brother, which was weird because she said he was supposed to protect me. And then I, t- I brought it up to him later on. I was like, I don't tell her anything because she makes me feel worse. And I, I was like, remember when I was like uh, molested and she she beat me? And he was like, well, that didn't happen. And I was like, yeah, it did. And then I was like, con- you know, it was just like a confusion. It was just like, did this happen? Did this? And she says it didn't happen. I know in my heart it did. I know in my heart now that I can validate my memories and not struggle with them so much, you know, give myself and my memory the respect that it deserves. Now I know that these things happened. But some of them I still can't prove. So it's just like it's out in the hemisphere, you know. <laughs> and that the... um. Oh god, where how did I get on that?
0: I don't uh, remember. But <laughs> um I guess your mom was out of jail. Oh, I know I know where we were. Something along the lines of of your you um saying stuff to your mom and then your mom doing things like I'm a terrible person. I'm this. Yes. I'm that. Yes. And I yeah. also just want to point out uh with that, yeah. that conscious or unconscious, it's somewhat a tactic that would be used Absolutely. By someone, even if she doesn't know she's doing it, to then take the blame off of her or whoever it is, bring it uh, now around to their feelings. And now you are in a caretaker role, caretaking the feelings and not addressing the situation that was initially brought up.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it was that situation. It was very much... Um, You know, I would say, like, you need to go to therapy. And she'd say, I'm in therapy. I was talking to my doctor the other day. and He said this. And I was like, well, a therapist wouldn't say that. And, you know, little things like that, the Liars Anonymous meetings. I did look into it because I was like, maybe it's real, maybe it's not. And uh, it didn't exist. (laughs) It didn't exist. So I was like, okay, where are you going every Monday? Like, you know, there's gaps. I have no idea where she was going every Monday I also, every once in a while, she'll have money. And I'm like, oh, boy, I hope you're not doing anything illegal because I don't know. I have no idea. And being in a relationship with her was like constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. It was the shakiest bridge. Um, it was that Indiana Jones bridge, man. It, it was just like, why am I on this bridge? Why am I on this sh- shaky, shaky, you know, land where something could go wrong any moment? Um I also eventually I got to an age where she couldn't hurt me uh, abuse wise, but she was showing up in my dreams constantly, constantly um, as an abusive monster, as a monster, as like a, a like a vampire constantly in my dreams. And she was constantly trying to kill me. Um, and there was one dream in particular, and it really, really, um, it really exemplifies you know, her sort of, uh, zero to 60 manner, but it was, uh, I was fighting with her and I'm like, Hey, I'm an adult now. I'm, you know, I'm 37 years old. Um, you can't hurt me. I could hurt you. Like if you come at me, I will retaliate. And she takes a pair of scissors. This is a dream again. She takes a pair of scissors and she cuts the webbing between her fingers. And she's like, I'm an insane person. You think, you think if I can do this, that I can't find a way to hurt you. And I remember waking up and I was like, that completely exemplifies the, like, she is a older, fragile woman who has gone to jail, who has lost everything, who has no money, no family really left, left over. She is by herself. She is weak, but she can still hurt me. She can still find a way to hurt me. And eventually I I begged her, begged her to see a therapist Um, I was about, I was going to stay with her during the apartment renovation. And um, I said, if I'm going to be under the same roof as you guys, what I would really like is for us to be in therapy. Um, I've been in therapy. I adore therapy. The process for me has been incredible. And I just knew that as a family, if we did it, it would, it, well, It would be like, Hey, we're all, we're all incredibly dehydrated. Let's have like a sip of water. It won't heal everything, but it would be a process and it would be healing. And then I could like stand to live under this house and not be completely traumatized by my surroundings. And I also said like, I won't be mean to you. You, you know, uh, you won't lie to me. Like that's our process: is You lie to me. I get angry. I'm mean to you. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be mean to you. It makes me feel terrible when I'm mean to you. So just, Do one thing, do one thing, make one appointment and I will at least feel like you're doing something and I won't be mean to you Um, because it just happens. I just have anger and it comes out sometimes in a very unkind way. Um, And she said, I will. And then she said, I'll get to it. And then she said, I'm busy right now with the holidays. And then she said, "Um, I'm not doing it for anyone but myself, so I'll do it when I want. And then I said, "Well, you know what? Then you're not prioritizing our relationship. I'm t- I'm asking for one thing. You're not doing it, so I have to protect myself." And I just said, "You know, it's not that I think you're a bad person. Uh, I don't. I don't have a right to call you good or bad. Um, but I know that you you do not. You are not healthy for me. You know, you are you are hurtful. You are pa- a painful." painful being in my life. And I can't, um, I need to protect myself. And my therapist was really, really uh, supportive of that. Um, it, it's like the third time I've done it, but I do feel like this time might might be the stickler. It is difficult though. It is difficult. You know, I have problems with feeling guilt. I am again, the only child left. Um, I miss my father a lot. And sort of had to cut him off a bit, too, because he defends her constantly. Um, he hates her, but he defends her constantly. It's very funny. She steals a lot from him, and he's always angry about it. But he's also like, well, she's sick. And it's like, yeah, man, I know she's sick. I know. I I totally understand she's sick. But that sickness doesn't give her the right. You know, that that is the diagnosis uh, of the disease. But that doesn't help us. That doesn't help us cure it. You know, it's still just wreaking havoc on us.
0: So before you went no contact and you were living a life of drama, you said something earlier, which was you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop or a shoe yeah. to drop.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: Over time, were you able to, because you said something also, which was she had money, uh, something was up, I knew something was up. Were there other things besides money where you were able to eventually over time, uh, I guess by watching her and knowing her so well, knowing that something was going on where you're like it was just... It could have been she talked about a specific thing or if she dreamed a lot about something or like, you know what I mean? Was there things like that where you're like, I know something's up. I can't prove it. But whenever that is brought up, this is what's about to happen.
1: It's literally – it's so funny. It's literally every single time we talk. She'll say like, oh, I spoke to your grandma the other day. She says hi. And I'll go, no, she didn't. You know, like it's just – it's every time she talks, I know that there's something – exaggerated or some little things added she'll say oh um uh you know we went to a a, you know a funeral and she'd say oh me and so and so made up at the funeral and I go no you didn't and she goes yeah we just we just looked at each other from across the room and smiled and that I knew what she meant and I'm like that's not a thing you know like it's always there's always something there's always something and she has no um there's no, uh, end to it. There's no end to it. And that's one of the things that's so frustrating is like, I don't want to be mean to you, but every time I talk to you, I get frustrated every single time because there's always some little thing, uh, weaseled in, peppered in, uh, sometimes it's the entire spice cabinet and it's, it, it's just all made up. You know, it's just all made up. It could literally be something so small as, um, uh, oh, I got this coupon from Uber. So if you want to order takeout, we can order takeout. I'll say, you didn't get a coupon. You know, like, <laughs> you just want to order Uber. It just, you know, Uber Eats, it's all the time. So, you know, and sometimes those little things, you know, in the past, they've become big things. So I tend to try to keep an eye on it because who knows, something, eventually something could blow up again. And we're in the, uh, you know, in the lawsuit fell through and we owed all this money and people were suing her and everything like that, that was really insane because, you know, we just, we just like lost everything in the matter of uh, weeks. And I'm always thinking like, well, that could happen again. That could happen again. It could easily happen again. Um, But now, you know, like I, I can't even give her like a key to my place. Cause I don't trust her. Um, she'd be like, well, for emergencies, you should have an extra key here. And I'm like, I'm not going to leave an extra key here, not here. So there's always, you know, there's always something, uh, there's always something. I always know she's up to something. I always know that there's a lie. Um, very recently there was a, uh, Indiegogo for a friend of mine who lost their husband. And, uh, as a family, we had pulled some money together and the money went missing. And I remember I was like, God, not again, like like, this is a widow that we're trying to like raise money for. Like, did you steal it? You know? And she was like, how dare you? Like, how could you think I could do something like that? And I'm like, well, you stole from me all the time. Still from my dad all the time. Of course you did it. And then I found out she did it, but it didn't matter. You know, it didn't matter. I remember even like, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to bring it up. I know she has, I know she took the money, but I'm not even going to bring it up because it's pointless. I'm just going to let go, let go with
0: love, as they say. You know. So you went no contact, no which contact. Not- mu- must have been, you know, those you've You tried many times. I have, and, and, and now you're in this version of it, and your every day is every, but every day is, you know, a struggle because you're you're used to your 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 mom's antics and the addiction. It's your mom, you know.
1: Yeah, and, and the guilt. Yeah.
0: And there's your dad that's there as well. Absolutely. So, for you, Mm -hmm. now that you're in this spot,
1: Mm -hmm. you
0: you know, are you able to assess all of the things within you that going forward to have a, I'm air quoting, normal life? (laughs) Yeah. As far as, you know, going forward, relationship or um, just interactions with people and hypervigilance and Uh things along those lines. Like, I assume right now that my assumption is you just want to live in peace.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: (laughs) So, you know, relationships aside, I don't know if you're in one or you have a partner Mm -hmm, or no. mm -hmm. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Really good supportive guy.
0: Okay. And, uh, but as far as peace goes, are you a hermit? Like what is your life like? Very
1: very much so. Yeah. I have um, pretty strong agoraphobia where even like, you know, going to the liquor store down the street can be very difficult for me. Um, I definitely have major anxiety. Um, I, I, I flinch, you know what I mean? Just like regular sort of trauma responses. Uh, I get nightmares quite a bit. Um, it's, it's funny, you know, the, my body, even when I'm saying like, I'm going to therapy, I'm taking medicine, I'm doing my meditation. I'm, I'm in a safe space. I have my, my therapy cat. uh, you know, my, my therapy boyfriend, you know, um, like I'm good. My body still remembers. My body is still, um, you know, uh, I, I think of it as like sort of, a m- the blood flowing through my veins is sort of a mixed with cement. It's still sort of congealed and slow and, uh, struggling, struggling. And regardless of all the work that I am doing, it's still a process, a messy process. um, and I'm, but I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And I do feel like this situation will bring me some peace that, that I could do at this time. I could cut her off and sort of, you know, keep her, keep her at a distance, protect myself from, from that anger, you know, cause anger, it harms me. It harms me when I'm angry with her. And when I'm frustrated with her, it harms me because I'll never get the answer I want. It'll never happen. And I have, I have ran into the same wall many times where I thought, well, reasonably, of course, like, of course she wants to get help. Wouldn't, wouldn't a person who understands that they're crazy want to get help, wouldn't they? That just makes sense. That just makes logical sense. She doesn't. She doesn't want help. She doesn't want to get better. She doesn't care about it. She likes my real world. She enjoys living there. I am a threat to my real world. She'd rather ruin her relationship with me than threaten Maria world where she lives and likes to live. Um, it, it, it just makes so much more sense to me now. Um, you know, you can, you can understand why someone does something behavior in a, in a, from a behavioral standpoint, from a, a mental health standpoint, you could totally understand it, but it's still, if it's harmful to you, you know, it's, it's, you're within every right to, to cut it out of your life, every, every right. And, um, I do feel like that's, what's sort of different this time is that I, I stopped running into that wall and I realized like, this is just never going to happen. This is never going to happen. If it does happen, great. Great. You know, I always sort of hope that eventually someday we will be cordial at best, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, or ever really, uh, perhaps ever, because that's one of the things with a as a narcissist is they don't they don't want to get better. It's very it's a very very difficult thing, and they can't do like a brain scan on her and and cut it out. You know, they can't they can't give her a pill that's going to fix her. It takes deep 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 work to solve the problems that she has, and she can't even take the first step. So it's like, what, what battle am I really trying to fight here and how healthy is it to try to fight it alone? Um, the answer is not very, <laughs> and I have learned that in therapy quite, you know, it's sort of been hammered in and it, I, I it's sinking in, you know, <laughs> is that
0: the biggest thing you had to learn right there?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. That, um, that I can't control the situation with my, you know, uh, I call it like reasonableness, you know, like it just makes sense that you would get help. It just makes sense that I would help you get help. It just makes sense that I would help the family get help. Um, They don't want to do it. They don't even believe in therapy. And they also don't believe, you know, they don't believe that uh the way that I tell stories is the way that they happen. They don't really believe that. They also think it's like just incredibly normal. Um, Hispanic households, I just, I feel like a lot of them, were abusive and a lot of them people just accept. They just accept it. It's just so normal. Um it's so normal and it's so normalized, you know, that they, you know, it's it's like my dad would say, like why are you in therapy? It's it's not like you lived through a war. And I'd be like, Yeah I did, you know <laughs>
0: when he says that do you uh, you know, you, you obviously say, yeah, I did. But is part of you this child that wants to cry because it's just so insulting?
1: You know, it is it's, It is insulting. I think the problem is I, I really do love my dad. I think that he's the only person I was ever really able to rely on. Like if I had money troubles, there was only one person I could call to help me. If I had uh, any problem, there was only one person I could call to help me. And that was always him because he was the reasonable person. Um, so I, I I do really, and I also just think he's super smart and I'm really proud of his sobriety and everything he learned in AA. I, I really love, you know, some of the stuff that he learned and passed down. Um, so it's hard to get angry with him. That's one of the things, my therapist does it for me, but, <laughs> but it's hard to be upset with him. Even when he's uh, invalidating my feelings and my my memories, when I say, hey, she was never a lawyer, and he's like, you don't know. And I'm like, yeah, I do, dude. Like, how do you, you know, like, you don't you think I'm a smart person? Don't you think I would not lie to you? Like, this person lies to you all the time. But I also think, again, this is just a theory of mine, that, you know, he fell in love and married and lived with for many, many years a woman who her emotions are manipulative and her feelings are manipulative and her words and her actions are manipulative. Why would he believe me? You know, sometimes I'll say to him, I'll be like, you know, you're like, you're like one of my best friends. And I'll say, I'm not your friend. And I'm like, you don't believe me? Like you are like, I like you. You're I think you're cool. And I like watching movies with you. And he'll say, I'm not your friend. And I just think it's so weird that he'll react that way. But I also know it's like, well, why would he? why would he believe why would he understand why would he understand human emotions in that way you know um even just from being a a drug dealer i know he said he did it he said he did it for so long because he was insecure and he just wanted a lot of friends and to be invited to all these parties it's like why wouldn't he think that that's what everyone wants from him is you know tit for tat or like uh you know, money or protection or, you know, just a a figure in their life that's supposed to take care of them. Why wouldn't he feel that way? You know, so I give him a lot of leeway as frustrating as he can be. I give him more leeway than, than not, because I, I just, I feel bad for him that that's sort of where his mind is, that he has been conditioned. It's like a person with Stockholm syndrome or something. It's like, he really doesn't understand like he doesn't understand he just doesn't understand he'll be like why would your mother's health affect you like you just do your own thing and i'm like why wouldn't it why wouldn't your lives affect mine like it's the three of us it's the three of us like we are tethered to each other we are all uh we are all one unit because we all went through our entire lives together and experienced all these terrible things together and it sh- and it made us like the these cactuses like we're all we're the only cactuses in this desert like we We should be the closest and understand each other all the best, but, uh, but we don't. So strange.
0: Is it fair to to say that you have a codependency or a people pleasing or things along the caretaking in those lines and and how did, does the role of your partner or husband or whoever it is um, play into that as far as your healing process and, how did you get lucky enough to find that person? Because it could have been disastrous for you.
1: Dude. I mean, it should have been disastrous. I think, I think this is just, again, something that I think. um, Sometimes I think the universe, the universe is like, you know, we're really sorry. We put you through all that. (laughs) We're going to give you a really good boyfriend. (laughs) I think that's, I think that's kind of what happened. I think that the universe I had collected a lot of karma points. I really just tried to be the opposite of her. And if she's going to throw, if she's going to throw havoc in her way, that I'm just going to work so hard to do good and be good. I'm going to work ridiculously hard. It's like I have Catholic guilt, but without the Catholicism. I'm going to work so hard to be good and to be nice and to people please, and just rack up as all, all all the karma points I ha- I can for the next life. And the universe said, "You know what? You know what? We're really sorry about the first, you know, thirty years of your life. <laughs> like we're gonna, we're gonna give you a really good relationship." And they, and they did. It, it did. Because um, he's a incredibly patient human being, but um, patient and loving and very nurturing. Uh, but I'm always afraid that, um, you know, what if, what if you died, or what if you left me? What if you? fell out of love with me because, uh, I am too much work. What if anything like that happened? And he's so, he's so well-adjusted. He's just like, well, that's not going to happen. And it's like, why would it happen? Why would that happen? What makes you even think of that? And I'm like, don't you think about it like every day of your life? Like, don't you don't you live in constant fear? Isn't love really just constant fear? And he's like, No. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? Like I'm like, ah, romance. The constant fear of your partner dying, you know, or leaving. <laughs> that's uh that's how I sort of see Valentine's Day. I'm like, we celebrate that I am constantly in fear.
0: <laughs> so I guess part of your healing would be you know, even though you're in a relationship with someone who's good, is to um, feel secure within yourself and have that just be derived from within you and not have to get it from them. But at least you know that with this partner that you're currently with, that you trust that person and that over time you'll be able to feel secure for your first time.
1: Over time, I believe. O- over time, uh, it's it's a whole whole ass process. And again, it's, um, I mean, uh, there are like, there are like a thousand blood vessels in this body and I feel like 90% of them need work. You know, it, it's sort of like that. I, I don't know quite the science of, uh, you know, what happened to my brain, what caused my anxiety or panic attacks or depression you know, I never, I never quite understood the, um, I wish somebody could explain it to me in a way that made sense with like, uh, like cartoons or something like that. But the only thing I can think is like, okay, well, like I've got like a bajillion blood vessels in my body and like 90% of them need tinkering with, and that's just what the rest of my life is going to be is healing them one by one and getting getting some some workups on them one by one and i do feel like therapy has been amazing for me in that regard um i i feel like a lot of times uh i'll i'll just talk and talk and talk and then i'll take a breath and i'll be like all right uh next time you, we can get to your thoughts you know it's just like or i'll say things to him and i'll say like you know i don't think i've ever told anyone that or i don't think i've ever expressed it quite that way and uh and he validates it and my my family recently i've spoken to them and they've validated it and that was an incredible incredible turning point because they didn't know anything um and before i could even really it was it was like they they knew uh they always knew it was like they always knew and they just again were gaslighted the same way it, they would ask me questions like do you feel like you were abused as a child? And I'd say, yeah. And they'd go, yeah, we did too. You know, it was like just incredible validation. And it was like, all right, I don't have to live on this Island with the three people with my three cactuses. I don't have to live on that Island. I don't have to live on that desert. Um,
0: And I have a strange question for you. mm. Um. As far as little quirks go, mm-hmm. do you have OCD? Do you have – like where do you keep your wallet? Where do you keep your <laughs> purse? Where do you keep <laughs> your keys? Yeah. Where, where do all of those things fit as far as security? When you go eat somewhere, where do you sit? When you're in a movie theater, where do you sit? Is it specific? Is it conscious or unconscious? Right. And is it all safety-based? I don't know if I'm way off, but let me know.
1: No, I would, well, I'd say that I I for sure have like little things like I have a lot of memory loss. I have a lot of anxiety and ADD, definitely for sure. Um, but the the anxiety, like when I go to a movie, I need to take a walk before I go into, into the theater. Like I literally, it's kind of a funny thing where my boyfriend has to sort of take me for a little walk (laughs) before we go into a place because my stomach is upset and (laughs) I need, I need like a moment. Usually, um, I check my keys, I check my wallet, I check my phone like 20 times a day because I know that I am, uh, you know, sort of lost without these items, um, I, I worry about money constantly. That's sort of, I think a, a family thing too, is I worry about money constantly and I'm in no, uh, no danger of going bankrupt, but I, it's like, I am constantly, constantly worried about money, worried about our living situation, uh, worried about, um, what if the cat, you know, falls off the patio, uh, you know, or falls off the porch or something like What if she gets eaten by a a raccoon? You know, just like a million things. What if, well, he's driving one day, I distract him too much and he crashes. Um, There is constant concern and worry. Constant concern and worry.
0: And what other irrational fears do you have?
1: Uh, I'm always worried that, um, well, I'm always worried that he's going to fall in love with somebody else and that these things are just not, uh, they're not, um, I mean, nobody plans on it, you know, and they, they just sort of happen and they're understandable. And I always sort of expect that that's going to happen, even though he doesn't even really like other people. <laughs> so it's like, okay, you, you let, and I also, I, I worry that, um, you know, I worry that her inauthenticity reflects on me. Um, there was a, there was a time at work once where something went missing and somebody questioned me about it and I started crying. Because it was like, please don't think I did this. It was, it was just like traumatic for me. I think I had a panic attack (laughs) because I was so upset at the idea If even for, I mean, it was totally reasonable. I was like the new person and something went missing and they were like, we're going to ask you about this. And I was so terrified that because of who she was, that it was going to reflect on me and like, well, you know, uh, the apple doesn't pull far from the tree. And do his parents feel that way? Does you know my boyfriend's parents feel that way? Do his siblings feel that way? Um, uh, will they will they be horrified at how uh, damaged and visual I am, and feel that I am unworthy, that I am uh, stunted, sort of emotionally and mentally, or what have you, and just not think I'm worthy? Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of worries like that. It sounds so terrible when I list them all, but like. The, the good thing is that, you know, for the most part, I've been wrong every time, you know, they're really great to me and my work has been really kind to me and, you know, um, I have really lovely friends who don't think I'm stupid, you know, and it's, uh, when you list them, it's, it sounds horrifying, but I've, I've been, I've been wrong. I've been wrong so far.
0: And what are the other things you've been doing to heal?
1: Uh, therapy's a big one. It's definitely a big one. Um, I, I have gone to meetings, uh, Al-Anon meetings. Uh, I, I started going to them. My brother was in the hospital at one point and I thought this is a great opportunity to talk to him, to see how he's doing, to see if he'll get help. Um, you know, I, I felt like I was raised like he was my brother, but he was never treated much like he was my brother. I almost felt like she did it just for the accolades, you know, like, look at me taking in this boy. But when he got really sick, they almost, like, blamed him. You know, it was like we did, we had a, um, we, they had, like, an intervention, but it was, like, the most poorly put together. Like, I just remember I was, like, embarrassed. I was like, dude, why aren't we doing a better job by him? Like, he's he's your, your child and he's my brother. And it was like, oh, well, I guess we don't treat him that way. And it was very confusing. And so... I, went to, I started going to Al-Anon to see how I could help. But that was another thing. They were like, you're not going to find a way to help here. You're going to find a way to help like yourself. You're going to find a way to manage. And I love that. I loved that. You know, um, Al-Anon was a wonderful, wonderful, like being being in a room with people who are also struggling is just so, so cathartic. Um being in a room with my therapist who uh, like, again, I'm like paying him to be uncomfortable. (laughs) is also so cathartic. You need people that sort of um, they're on their own little Island too. And they're having their own little struggles too. Uh, There's, there's quite a lovely thing about sharing that and sharing experiences. The podcast is amazing. It gives me anxiety, but I need it. Sometimes it, it sort of drains all the, um, the the anger it drains the anger because it's like okay well this these things happen to me but I'm so relieved that I'm not the only one feeling this way and I'm so relieved that you know um at least at least this situation has like a uh at least it's out there at least it's out there I'm just so glad it's out there there was the um 19 year old that you were talking to she was like this young girl who's parents were really awful to her and I loved listening to that that particular episode and hearing story a story that was similar in in some ways to mine and just being like like we did it like we did it you know like 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 me and you we got there like we're we're okay now we're we're in a safer place uh we're protected from from that horror you know because everybody people they're like oh you know, nobody knows what to say. Everyone's uncomfortable by by situations like this. I feel terrible when, when somebody's like, oh, do you have siblings? I'm like, ooh, you know, like, how am I going to answer this question in a way that doesn't make them feel bad? Because it's weird. And, you know, there's all these platitudes that come back at you. Like, well, you only have one mother. Or, like, well, maybe things will get better eventually. Or, um, "Ah, but all that trauma made you stronger. And you're like, no, it made me traumatized. That's what trauma did. It it made me traumatized. It gave me a little bird heart, you know, like it fucked me up. And when I listened to a podcast, like that, that 19 year old girl whose name I wish I could remember, it it was so great because it's like, yeah, you know, like we're like, I'm not uncomfortable hearing your story because it's my story. And finally, it's almost, you know, it's not a conversation, but it's like, it's like having a conversation with somebody who gets it you know? Um, and I do think that's super cathartic, you know, catharsis is, is big and wherever you can get it, get it, you know, sometimes that, that does mean putting yourself through some uncomfortable, you know, reading or, or podcasts, you know, or just listening to a story that's unpleasant. Um, remembering a story that's unpleasant is cathartic.
0: And if you had any words of wisdom or advice for others listening, what would it be?
1: Uh, It would be that, um, you know, one of my regrets is that it took me so long to sort of figure out how to let go. And a lot of that was because of guilt, because I felt like as a daughter, it was my, it was my duty to help like a guide dog, help her through this, you know, mental prison that she was in. Um, that that guilt should not have made me miserable for as long as it did. Um, I am I am certain that I can love my mother, like love her truly, and never speak to her again. Um, I am certain that I can find find it in myself to wish her well, and to hope for peace for her, but to also keep her completely away from disrupting the peace in my life because that's that's so valuable um also just moving out it it took me way too long to move out again because of guilt just like get out man it it is it makes such a big difference um it makes such a big difference the the first time I stayed in a place you know my own my own apartment I remember I was staring at the ceiling and I couldn't believe this was my life now you know I couldn't believe it I was like, I am in a safe place. And it and it was it was just like a bizarre out-of-body experience. I was like, am I really in in a like completely living apart from them? Am I really like I don't have to wake up and have these arguments and have these fights or hear these fights? And it was uh it that was when it was like, well, it's it's Raquel time now. Raquel's gonna focus on her sorry. sorry. <laughs> it is my time now. I'm gonna focus on me. And my own health, and I'm going to go to therapy, and uh, therapy's killer. Um, I, I always say, like, give it give it a shot, because sometimes, like, you know, like, there are bad judges, there are bad cops, there are bad teachers, there are bad therapists. And you've got to find somebody um, that kind of gets you. And I, I found somebody that really gets me and, uh, you know, laughs at my jokes that was very important to me and in a therapist. (laughs) So, um, yeah, just give it time. And sometimes it doesn't, you know, Kaiser, sometimes you have to invest because like I had insurance, but through Kaiser, I just felt like the doctors were very overworked, uh, through my health plan. I felt like they were very overworked. They had to refer to notes to remember even what I was there for. Um, and I could have gotten that free, uh, well, you know, once a month. But I decided to go to a private doctor because it's an investment. It's a serious investment, and um, it was. It's worth it. It's super, super worth it. Getting the right therapist, super worth it. Finding a group that uh, provides you with catharsis, so important. Um, I, I really think volunteering is great for your mental health. Because when I've been completely in the hole, I just wanted one thing, just one thing that got me out of bed and that I could feel good about, just one. And sometimes it was cleaning a house, you know, something really easy, Uh, doing online shopping for a senior, or doing shopping for like a senior citizen or volunteering somewhere. It just made me feel... Like, okay, I have, I at least have this one thing. And if I'm way in the hole, that one thing is everything and it works. It's guaranteed to work. I guarantee it. It has always made me feel uh, better when I'm really deep, really deep in it. Um, And those are, those are sort of the things that I would, I would recommend.
0: Well, Roxy, you did it.
1: I did it. I almost stayed on track the whole time.
0: (laughs) You you did it. And (laughs) you are such a delightful person. Thanks. And we talked about terrible things. Yes. Or interesting and (laughs) terrible things. And you did a really good job. Uh, you know, translating not just what happened to you as a story and an interesting mm-hmm. story, but translating your feelings, you know, what you went through, the, the real nitty gritty of yeah. who you are and in, in, in what you're dealing with. And mm-hmm. It's not easy. And you did it with a smile on your face and you did it while laughing in this, you know, your giggle is an infectious giggle. And you're going to help a lot of people today by telling your story and you did a marvelous job. And I really want to thank you for being here.
1: Thank you. This is, um, I mean, the, the smile on my face is truly because of uh, the catharsis and that this is just another thing for me to, to sort of take on and not, um, not be afraid of.
0: Well, we're all giving you a big hug. I know you're going to help a lot of people. So thank you so much once again. Thank you. And before we end off our show today, for those of you that want to be a guest on our show, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com and at the top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. There's a lot of instructions there. Please do read the instructions and send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or just put everything in the guest form and press press the uh enter button i think it's an enter button something like that and then also for those of you who are at our website that need support at NarcissistApocalypse.com, at the top of our page, there's a button that says Support Group. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And inside there, we have forum boards. We have integrated Zoom support meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night and every other Thursday afternoon. We have episodes that never made it to air. We have ad-free episodes as well. And if you just want to support the show, join our support group. It helps us out a lot. So please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, press support group, and we will see you there. And if you need any more support, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone. DomesticShelters.org offers an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing and can connect you with local resources and find ways for you to heal and move forward. So please do go to domesticshelters.org to access this free resource today. And I went from talking slow to talking really fast there because my niece came into the kitchen and started baking cookies and I wanted to get this done quicker than so she could finish what she was doing. Anyway, I just really want to say thank you to Roxy for being on the show again today. I cannot thank her enough. So now, from myself and Roxy, we hope you have a good night.